0: We're waiting for the Georgia runoff, for Kerry Lake to concede, and for Americans to give up their obsession with guns. Well, at least Georgia is likely to happen on The Political Junkie. You like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike. For President, add like to you, and to me, I don't care how you quote
1: it. Come on and vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy. He'll come out on top Both for Richard Nixon and Henry
2: Cabot because they're the ones to lead the USA
0: Thanks for joining us and welcome to episode 396 of the Political Junkie. I'm Ken Rudin. Something strange has happened on the road to 2024. Having expected a blowout defeat at the polls, Democrats were preparing to apply the heat on President Biden to announce he would not seek a second term. After all, he just turned 80, and he's definitely lost a step or three. But with Republicans surprisingly falling short in many key races, and with Donald Trump getting much of the blame, it's the Republican race for 24 that has suddenly jumped to the top of the list. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and a likely Trump rival, has poo-pooed talk of a White House bid, as he should. He knows there's plenty of time for that. But Trump is busy. Well, busy being Trump. Kanye West, the rapper now known as Ye, who has been in the news lately for a plethora of anti-Semitic statements he's been making, had dinner with Trump last week. Ye brought along another subterranean, Nick Fuentes, a rabid anti-Semite, white nationalist, and Holocaust denier. Trump, to no surprise, said he had never heard of Fuentes before, which is what he usually says when he's caught meeting with someone known for hate and bigotry, and added that he wasn't even the one who invited him. Regarding Ye, Trump wrote this on Truth Social. We got along great. He expressed no anti-Semitism. Well, that should settle the issue. To many Republicans, who invited Fuentes mattered less than the fact that Trump had dinner with two virulent anti-Semites. And as an indication that Trump's hold on the GOP was weakening, Republicans began expressing their displeasure. Here, in order of appearance, were Mitt Romney, Mike Pence, and Mitch McConnell.
1: I think there's, uh, it's been clear that there's no bottom to the degree to which President Trump will, uh, degrade, uh, himself and, and the nation. Uh, President Trump was wrong, uh, uh to give, uh, a white nationalist, uh, um, an anti-Semite and a Holocaust denier are seat at the table.
0: Let me just say that there is no room in the Republican Party for anti-Semitism or white supremacy. You can wonder what took them so long, but that's not the point. No longer is it considered political suicide to stand up to Trump's history of bigotry. Who knows what the future is going to look like, but it would be nice if Trump could have dinner with anti-Semites in the middle of Fifth Avenue and his party will say, enough is enough. The lunatic is in my head
2: (laughs) The lunatic is in my head You raise the blade You make the change
1: You rearrange me till I'm sane You lock the door Throw away the key
0: There's someone
2: in my head but it's not me
0: Meanwhile, there's about a month left at the time when the Justice Department, given the green light by the Supreme Court, can hand over Trump's tax returns to the House Ways and Means Committee. Republicans take over on January 3rd, and you know they could care less about Trump's tax returns, as long as they could find out what's on Hunter Biden's laptop. Kevin McCarthy, the likely next House Speaker, has been saying all the right things, promising Marjorie Taylor Greene that she'll once again have committee assignments, and pledging an investigation into, and possible impeachment of, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over what he called the, quote, collapse of our border. Of course, McCarthy's ascension is no guarantee. The GOP will have a narrow majority in the next Congress, somewhere around 222 seats. And members of the right-wing Freedom Caucus are hinting that if their demands are not met, McCarthy might have trouble reaching the 218 votes needed to put him over the top. But he's already indicated that he'll give a green light to incoming House Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan and Oversight Committee's likely new chair, Kentucky's James Comer, to pursue whatever investigations they want, including regarding the situation at the border. Democrats call that a policy of revenge, but the fact remains that the number of migrants coming from Latin America and elsewhere is becoming untenable. The biggest story of the 2020 Senate elections was in Georgia. Neither David Perdue, the Republican incumbent who was seeking re-election, nor Kelly Loeffler, a Republican who was appointed to fill a vacancy for the other seat, managed to win a majority in November. Both were forced into January runoffs, and for an assortment of reasons, both lost to Democratic challengers. That's what gave the Democrats their tenuous 50-seat majority they have today. The stakes aren't as high for this year's runoff. Raphael Warnock, one of the Democratic winners in the 2021 runoff, was forced into overtime once again, this time by his Republican opponent, Herschel Walker. But the Democrats' unexpectedly good showing on November 8th means that no matter what happens in next month's runoff, the party is still guaranteed at least 50 senators, and thus, with Vice President Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote, the majority but having 51 seats is much preferable to having 50 greg bluestein the political reporter with the atlanta journal constitution who had to work overtime to cover the runoffs 2 years ago is once again on the scene for the warnock walker runoff i interviewed him more than a week ago since then we learned that walker is receiving a tax exemption on his home in texas which more than suggests that his primary residence is not in the state of Georgia, where he is seeking a Senate seat and where he played college football. Okay, back to my interview with Greg Bluestein. Greg, here we go again.
1: <laughs> here, here we go again. Um, no, you're right back to it. You're, and your your summary was perfect because we're in another topsy-turvy election. Senate control is no longer at stake, but it's still a hugely consequential race.
0: Well, I think it's fair to say that no one expected the Democrats to win both Senate seats two years ago. And, you know, I mean, talk about expectations. I have to say, and, and I've been saying it all year, that given all the controversy surrounding Herschel Walker, the, the alleged paying for his girlfriend's abortions, uh, despite his strict anti-abortion views, putting a gun to his ex-wife's head, insane rantings about evolution and climate change— and just about everything else. No way in the world did I think Herschel Walker would get this close. And one more thing before we go on, before we dismiss Herschel Walker's crazy stuff. Here he is. Here he was last week talking about watching a movie about vampires and werewolves and how it pertains to his election. Oh, you ever
2: watch a stupid movie late at night hoping it's going to get better, don't get better, but you keep watching it anyway. Because the other night, the other night I was watching this movie, I was watching this movie called Fright Night, Sweet Night or something like of night. But it's about vampires. I don't know if you know vampires are cool people, ain't right? But I'm going to tell you something that I found out. A werewolf to kill a vampire, do you know that? No. I never do that, so I don't want to be a vampire anymore, I want to be a werewolf. <laughs> but then anyway, as I was watching this movie, and they can tell how stupid it is because it's 1 in the morning. So I'm watching my TV, and these kids watching their TV, uh a vampire killed on their TV. So you know it's kind of stupid, but I'm still watching though. As I'm watching this show, what was funny, these kids had a vampire in their attic, at their house. So they were watching their TV, now I'm watching my TV they're watching that TV and they see the vampire killer on that TV. So they win this contest to bring this actor, now y'all got to stay with me, bring this actor who's a vampire killer from that TV to get rid of this real life vampire in their ad. So if this actor comes to their home, he got all the right stuff. He got all the right stuff because you know you got to have a steak, you got to have a thing to, to kill him in the heart. And he got a necklace of garlic so that worked. I don't know what it does but it worked. You got to have a cross because it burned. I know that worked.
0: So, Greg, I think after watching that speech, uh, the obvious question is, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, a couple of things. First of all, you know, this is, this is Senator
1: Warnock's underlying message, which is that Herschel Walker's unfit for office. And so all those issues you just listed and many more uh, that we've reported on to AJC and that other outlets have reported on have all been kind of uh, been put into this sort of conglomerate of messaging that Herschel Walker... Um, in in the Democratic's viewpoint, should not be a U.S. senator. But look, you know, you just said how could Herschel Walker have gotten this far? And I think you can flip that question on its head here in Georgia as well. You can make the argument, you can make the question about how did Senator Warnock make it this far in a political climate where every other Republican candidate in Georgia, not just one, but one easily. I mean, Brian Kemp, the governor, beat Stacey Abrams by six, seven points. I mean, that's a blowout in Georgia. In, in the most evenly divided electorate. So there was a thought that Herschel Walker would squeak over the finish line by with the help of Brian Kemp, with the help of Chris Carr, with the help of Brad Raffensperger and the other Republican statewide candidates who easily won. But instead, it was Senator Warnock who ended up just ahead of him. And I think that that is a testament to not only Herschel Walker's vulnerabilities, but also the sort of campaign that Raphael Warnock has run. Because rather than Uh, you know, focus on Joe Biden and focus on core liberal messages. He certainly, uh, you know, supports liberal policies over his tenure in office, but he is making a decided pitch to the middle, to those up in the air, middle of the road voters who are very concerned with Herschel Walker's rhetoric and his past behavior and his patterns of violent and and erratic behavior, but also are very concerned about Joe Biden because Joe Biden's approval rating is still below 40% here in Georgia. And I think both those together can you help explain uh, why we're here in this runoff?
0: Well, I had spoken to some Republicans a few months ago. You know, I, I said, I can't understand why conservatives are sticking with him, given all the things he's said and done. And, and one guy said, none of this matters. He said, we need to win the Senate and we need Walker to win his race. And that's it. That's what I've been hearing mostly from Republicans around the country. Yeah, and this changes the dynamic because the Senate
1: control is no longer on the line. And we heard from Herschel Walker in the closing days of the November race before the midterm that a vote for Herschel Walker is a vote for Republican-controlled Senate. A vote for Herschel Walker is a vote against Joe Biden. That was what Herschel Walker and his allies were trying to, uh, the message they were trying to amplify to even voters who had those concerns. And we saw plenty of them. You know, I kind of divided the electorate up in three camps. It was the Republicans who didn't believe or didn't have any concerns about Herschel Walker's Uh, violent history and all those other uh, issues that you brought up earlier. There were those who did believe them and said that a vote for a Republican Senate is more more important and outweighed all their concerns. And then there was a very small but significant portion of voters who were kind of in the middle and who were clearly concerned about them and didn't know if they could support him. And we saw that play out in the election. Governor Brian Kemp, the Republican incumbent, got 200,000 more votes than Herschel Walker. So there's about 200,000 potential split-ticket voters out there, a not insignificant part of the electorate uh, that, that proved decisive. If there was one difference maker in the election, it was those split-ticket voters. Had Herschel Walker even gotten a, you know, a small fraction of those voters, he could have won this without a runoff, uh, but, but he didn't. And those voters are back in the forefront this time around with Senator Warnock airing ads and doing other strategies to try to reach out to those split-ticket voters right now.
0: You mentioned, of course, that, that no longer is the Senate control at stake. Can you feel that mood changing in Georgia? In other words, is the intensity gone? So it's still hugely consequential. As you noted earlier, this is not just some
1: consolation prize for either party. I mean, that 50, if Democrats can get to 51, that means that a Joe Manchin vote or a Kirsten Sinema vote. The two moderate centrist Democrats are, are, are no longer, you know, you could, you could, you could trade one of those votes uh, on, on certain policies and still have a little bit of breathing room. And for Republicans, getting to 50-50 means they're just one vote closer to taking control of the chamber, particularly if you look ahead to 2024 when it's a more challenging election cycle for Democrats. So hugely consequential. But yes, you can definitely feel it. It's still an important race, but it's not getting nearly the sort of attention I think it would get had Senate control, but on the line, there's fewer national media covering the campaigns. There's still a lot of them, but there's fewer national media. Um, And and frankly, you know, there's there's still a huge amount of interest from, from Georgians, but there's this exhaustion factor that's coming into play. That's why it's so hard to predict what the electorate might look like, because we've had so many consequential votes. And particularly for Senator Warnock, he's asking his supporters to come out for a fifth time in two years to back his candidacy, and that's a lot.
0: You've written that, you know, Governor Kemp, now that he's been reelected, has has loaned his operation, his field operation to the Walker campaign, uh, that the Kemp team and the Mitch McConnell team are working together. And also, of course, Warnock has uh, Barack Obama campaigning for him. Do these outside influences make a difference, you think? Certainly Brian Kemp having won the, the big victory for governor, bigger than many people expected, he has to have some pull in the Republican Party.
1: Oh, yeah, he might be the most popular Republican in Georgia right now, Brian Kemp is. And and, uh, let's start with Kemp, because um, when you talk about those split ticket voters, the Kemp Warnock voters, who's a better messenger than Brian Kemp for those voters? Uh, But there's a history there, and and a pretty strained one. Governor Kemp and Herschel Walker really had nothing to do with each other on the campaign trail up until the November midterm. I mean, they had dueling events at times. They rarely talked about each other. When I would ask Governor Kemp about Herschel Walker, he'd talk about supporting the entire ticket, but he wouldn't single out Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker wouldn't even tell me if he voted for Brian Kemp in the, in the primary, that, in which he, he, Brian Kemp easily defeated his Trump-backed adversary, David Perdue. So there's, there's a strained history, but at this point, it's sort of all hands on deck. And again, to, to Herschel Walker's supporters and to his allies, there's no better messenger for those wavering Republican voters than Brian Kemp himself, and Brian Kemp had a big rally um, a few days ago where he talked about the importance for Republicans to come back out and vote for, for, for Herschel Walker to support conservative policies. On the Democratic side, when, you, when you're talking about um, Senator Warnock and outside help, does he want Joe Biden to come in here? No. You know, Joe Biden's approval ratings below 40. Would he – I don't think he'd entertain many out-of-state figures. But Barack Obama – is a singular force in Democratic politics in Georgia. We know from Gallup polls and we know from other polls and surveys and metrics, we've seen that he still remains very popular with the party's base, much more popular than Joe Biden is right now, and is particularly among black voters. So Senator Warwick's trying to do two things right now. He's trying to appeal to the split-ticket voters who already backed him in the November midterm, but he also has to energize his base. And uh, I think that there's few better politicians who can do that than Barack Obama.
0: We haven't mentioned Donald Trump's name yet, and of course, you know, he's backed Walker from the start, and he continues to do so.
1: Despite the outcome in the Senate, we cannot lose hope, and we must all work very hard for a gentleman and a great person named Herschel Walker, a fabulous human being who loves our country and will be a great United States senator. Herschel Walker, get out and vote for Herschel, and he deserves it.
0: Greg, it seems like Trump was, he was the most influential Republican on the face of the earth. And then when the election went sour for the party earlier this month, he he got much of the blame. So, you know, I mean, to, to, to many people, you could see the New York Post headline, it's Donald who? So I guess the question is, is his influence in Georgia as strong as it was before the election? And could he make a difference?
1: He's had a more muted impact here in Georgia so far. It wasn't this sort of seismic event, him getting in the race. A, it didn't shock anyone that, that he made his comeback. But, but B, you know, it's a different mentality in Georgia. I mean, pretty much all of Donald Trump's hand-picked favored candidates all lost in the primaries, with the exception of two candidates, Burt Jones, who ran for lieutenant governor and won uh, the Republican nomination, and as well as Herschel Walker, who... Really, frankly, probably didn't need Donald Trump's support. There's no way we could ever, you know, solidly say that. But but Herschel Walker had soaring name recognition by just dint of being this legendary former University of Georgia football player, and so certainly he, you know, Donald Trump might have helped him make this case to Republicans. But I don't think he needed it. And a lot of folks who are very close to Herschel Walker's campaign think he could have he could have done just fine without. Donald Trump's endorsement. So Republicans are in this weird state right now. Do they even want Donald Trump to come down? Obviously, he didn't come down to Georgia uh, ahead of the midterm. Georgia was one of the few battleground states where Donald Trump did not hold a rally. But a a runoff is an entirely different operation where you're talking about base turnout. You're talking about um, getting that MAGA crowd out and... In the, in the runoff, turnout was lower than expected. Turnout was not great for Republicans, and so Donald Trump could help them. We don't know of any Donald Trump rally quite yet, but I would not be surprised uh, to hear of, of a rally in the, in, the, in the final days before the runoff.
0: Two years ago, uh, Stacey Abrams had this great influence getting out the black vote. Has her standing in Georgia gone downhill now that she's a two-time loser for the governorship?
1: Yeah, she's at a crossroads right now because she lost the 2018 race by about a point and a half, by just 55,000 or so votes. And in this race, she lost it by six or seven points. I mean, it was in in Georgia terms, you know, with the state being so closely divided in 2018 and 2020, this was a blowout. And so now she has to decide what her next step is, because obviously it was partly a great campaign from Governor Kemp, but partly uh, it was voters were, were swinging against her particularly independent voters who broke with the GOP in the last weeks of the race. And we, we know that because a lot of those voters also stuck with Senator Warnock. So it wasn't necessarily an anti-Democratic strain. These were voters who were willing to, to back both a Democrat and a Republican at the top of the ticket. So she's got a big decision to make because she's been basically the queen of the Republican Party. Democrat uh, Party, yeah. You're right. She's basically been the queenmaker of the Democratic Party here in Georgia, and also the the arch-rival, the arch-nemesis arch of the Republican Party, which has attacked her for the better part of a decade as its top rival. And so she has to decide whether or not she starts influ- she continues to influence things from the outside or she wants to run for another office again. But her challenge is there's no statewide office in Georgia for another four years, and, and she's not going to challenge U.S. Senator John Ossoff or anything like that. So she's got to wait four more years if she wants to run— in Georgia again. And there's many Democrats who want to move on.
0: But even before we decide her political future, does she have a role? Is she going to play a role? Is she playing a role uh, for the runoff?
1: You know, that's a great question because she's not yet. And she hasn't been out there on the forefront pushing her supporters to back Senator Warnock, nor do I think Senator Warnock's supporters want her to. Uh, it, it's Senator Warnock who ended up as the top prime Democrat in the November election, he he outdid every other Democrat, including her. And actually, Stacey Abrams, um, some of the down ticket candidates did better than Stacey Abrams. Jen Jordan, the Democratic nominee for Attorney General, actually got more votes than Stacey Abrams. So, you know, you never count Stacey Abrams out. But at this moment, I, I'm guessing, or I'm 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 suggesting, I guess is the better phrase, that Warnock's campaign is just fine focusing on their race and their candidate, candidate, and not bringing Stacey Abrams in to, you know, at least in the public way, to rev up his crowd.
0: The runoff is, uh, as you know, December 6th. Assuming there's no recount or lawsuit, uh, what do you plan to do on December 7th? (laughs) If if it's over, go on
1: vacation. No, I wish. I still have a couple more stories to write before I can go on vacation, but um, at some point, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of time off, and then I'll get right back into it because we have— a new legislative session, we'll have uh, a governor with a second term, and we're not quite sure what his second term agenda will look like. So we are a lot of
0: moving pieces here in Georgia uh, in, the, in the next few months. Last time, you know, I guess last year, right, you didn't have a Christmas or a New Year's. At least you'll have that, correct? At least we have Christmas, New Year's, and Hanukkah, so I don't have to worry about that. Greg Bluestein is a political reporter with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He's the author of Flipped. How Georgia Turned Purple and Broke the Monopoly on Republican Power, a book about the 2020 and 2021 elections. Greg, enjoyed the holidays. Thanks so much for having me. I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand
2: Walking through the streets of Soho in the rain He was looking for the place called Lee Ho Fox. Gonna get a big dish of beef chow mein
0: That's it for this week's show. Don't forget, you can always find my political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. If you've got comments, questions, or complaints, send an email to ken at krpoliticaljunkie.com. You can also tweet me at Ken Rudin or shoot me a message on the show's Facebook page. And you can follow my button of the day on Instagram at the Junkie. Political Junkie is made possible thanks to the support of our listeners and donors. Your generous contributions are most appreciated. Keep them coming at krpoliticaljunkie.com slash donate. I'm Ken Rudin. Thanks for listening. Please stay safe. I'll see you soon.